Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisor Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, Episode 7. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guest. Today's guest is Ethan Astane. Ethan was raised in Vancouver and graduated from the Souther School of Business at the University of British Columbia, specializing in finance and mathematics. He entered the industry in June 2008 and joined RGF Integrated Wealth Management starting off in an administrative role. Back in 2014, he bought into a book of business and since that time has been running an advisory practice. He is a certified financial planner and a member of FPSC as well as a member in good standing of the Conference for Advanced Life Underwriting. Currently, Ethan lives in East Vancouver with his family, and he's actively involved in his community, serving as a treasurer of the Falls Creek Community Association. Ethan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Pavel. I'm really excited to dive into this topic uh, uh, with you of uh, gold-based planning, because uh, you have been practicing gold-based planning and transitioned into uh, it from a more of a traditional approach. And that empirical experience is super valuable. But before we get to it, so tell me about your firm. What, what do you do and who do you do it for? Yeah, so our firm is RGF Integrated Wealth Management, formerly known as Rogers Group Financial. Uh, we're advisor-owned and advisor-led, so we're an independent wealth management firm based out of Vancouver, and we have clients across the country, but of course, since we're in Vancouver, mostly in, in BC. We were founded in, in the early 70s, actually, by, by Jim Rogers, and now today there are 17 advisory teams spanning a range of various specializations. So we have certain groups within the office that focus in certain segments of the, of the market. And on our team specifically, the one that I lead, for our private clients, we specialize in two key areas, um, retirement planning and then financial strategy for young families. Excellent. And so in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, staff, you said 17 people right now? There's 17 advisors in in total, there's about 60 people in the building. Excellent. And uh, how many assets under management do you have in the firm? So we're at about the $2 billion mark. And um, I'd say that that spans around 4,000 clients, give or take. Excellent. Perfect. So let's, uh, let's talk about uh, goal-based planning. So what is goal-based planning? Great question. Um, I would say that in its simplest form, what we call it is goals-based wealth management. And I guess the best way to ex explain what it is is to first describe where it lives. So it, it lives at the intersection of uh, comprehensive planning and investment strategy. And what it is, is it's a methodology that we found is the best at keeping clients and advisory teams focused on what matters the most. And uh, for clients in particular, that's their goals and their own behaviors. Okay. And so how did you get started yourself with, uh, with goal or goals-based planning? And what, what inspired you to look into uh, this methodology? So it was actually first introduced to me by uh, a mentor. And he had provided me with a white paper from the CFA Institute written by a gentleman named Jean Brunel. And Jean Brunel operates out of the United States, a U.S.-based firm. And so he, he really, uh, I think, was the first to explore this 
in the way that we do it. And so uh, in this regard, you know, full credit to him, of course. Um, and at first I didn't, to be frank, I, I, I read it. I, I understood the paper, so I thought, but I, I didn't really get it uh, because it seemed so conceptual. What I, what I couldn't quite make the connection to was, well, how do you actually do it and put it into practice? And the definitive moment for me was when Jean Brunel actually came to Vancouver to speak at a CFA event. Yeah, that really changed everything for me. Uh, I, I remember specifically there was one slide that he showed that gave me a glimpse of one of the deliverables that he provided to his clients. And the minute I saw that slide, a light went off in my mind, and I haven't been able to turn that light off since. Amazing. So you got to experience from the source. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, um, so tell me more a little bit more about goal-based planning. So the origination was kind of more on the high net worth segment, right? And so how do you apply uh, this to your clients? Um, and um, yeah, so let's maybe talk a little bit more about that. So how do you sort of adapt the concept and, and make this more practical for your clients? Uh, very good. So, you know, I think what... What it, what's interesting about it is that um, it gives people a framework for decision-making, and it, it actually simplifies that decision-making process. So the best example I can give is that we all have various goals, and those goals compete for the same resources. And so the exercise that we take people through when we plan is to help them identify you know, how to come up with a comprehensive system that achieves all of their goals. But the challenge is the noise, the things that come in and distract us, whether it's market volatility or you know, other, other things that we can't control. So the, the best way to explain it is that you have this set of goals that are competing for the same resources, and you need to keep your clients focused on the things that they actually have any meaningful control over. What I would say is that the process really starts and where it begins is in initial discussions with clients about what their goals actually are. And, you know, I'm not referring here to uh, five or six multiple choice questions that uh, are, are intended on, on, on getting you to a solution. I'm talking about meaningful dialogue about goals. What's interesting about goals is that um, when you start to peel back the layers, People don't really have things mapped out definitively in their minds. Um, you know, for example, I, I've got young children and uh, I want to put them, uh, you know, I'll say to my wife, we want to make sure we provide for their education. But if we peel back the layers of that, it's actually more complex. It's not that we want to give them an education, it's that we want them to be positioned for success. Education is one component of that. But often people will have a rough sketch of their goal but it hasn't really been explored to the point where it's an articulated vision. And then what makes matters a little bit more complex is that goals themselves actually evolve over time because we evolve over time. It's very difficult for us today to know what we will want tomorrow and how our priorities will change. So it really starts at the onset in engaging the clients in dialogue and, and going through the process of separating the must-happen goals from the want-to-happen goals and also identifying what's actually not important to them. So in the business world, you would say, you know, strategy is not just defined by what you choose to do, but what you choose not to do. And in the same regard, that's how we circle around the concept of goals 
Because ultimately, what we're trying to do is make sure that what we do for the client is very relevant. And in the absence of having a clearly articulated vision for what they want, you need to help them explore that. You need to help them test their goals. How badly do they want them? How do they rank? Because not all goals are created equal. Some are more time sensitive than others. Some you want, some need to happen. And, and, and some, if they don't happen, you won't be so upset. So I'd say, you know, the first part of it, the essence of it is really getting to the bottom of that. And not everyone I find is actually versed at this because you effectively have to learn how to draw people out. It's more of an art than it is in a science. And so, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the best way I can explain how it starts. Uh, so I have a question here because why, uh, and actually how we could uh, uh, compare goal-based approach to sort of the more traditional approach, the KYC, right? Because the KYC, there's still goal discovery, right? Um, how would you uh, position goal-based planning versus more of a traditional approach and traditional discovery of client goals? Very good. So I would say that earlier I made the comment that it lives at the intersection of where the planning effort meets the investment strategy. And so this is where it really occurs is in the way that you construct an investment portfolio, and in the way that you report on that portfolio. So, for example, each of your objectives have a different time horizon and capital requirements. And so, by extension, they, they each need to have their own asset allocation glide path. So, this means that your overall investment portfolio is actually made up of a number of sub-portfolios that you're designing and monitoring strategy for. And, and so you, what happens is your overall portfolio really just becomes a function of what's happening at your sub-portfolio level. Said another way, it manifests most meaningfully in the way you arrive in your asset allocation. So let's talk maybe all about some uh, practical examples, goals. What kind of goals you typically see? Uh, or, or is there maybe a set of goals that typically you see for clients? Or does it range for clients? Or you have different sort of set of goals? But there, there should be, there is probably a set of goals that are very, you know, very, uh, very similar, right? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, picking on our examples, for young families, what we find is that the most meaningful goal that is difficult for them to understand, it's the one that's the most uncertain is the process of getting their children established and, and getting them opportunities. We call this education savings for the most part, but the reality is it's positioning them for success in this world. But we, we don't know early in life how they're going to grow up, what they're going to be good at, what their skill set will be, what their challenges will be. So, you know, positioning your children for success is, is one meaningful goal, but it competes directly with your ability to pay down a mortgage with your ability to save for retirement or pursue other endeavors. So this is a practical example where you have a pool of money that needs to function and behave differently relative to the other pools, um, but, it's, but it's an important priority. So that's the best example I can give you for young families. For retirees, I would say the best example is the uncertainty of future healthcare costs. Because it, you can model how much you need in a retirement portfolio to meet a certain net income need. But what's trickier is building a strategy around something that you cannot really predict. You have no idea when you're going to encounter healthcare issues. You don't know what form they're going to take. 
and you don't know how much they're going to cost. So in addition to the standard goals that most people have, you have these certain goals that come with quite a bit of uncertainty for the client because life is lived forwards. They've never been through this process before of positioning their children for success or dealing with the uncertainty of healthcare. So for them, this is uncharted territory. And it, it is the goal that ends up competing with the other ones for those same resources. Right. So when you have a lot of different goals, uh, there could be a, an instance that the goals will be basically competing for resources, right? You may be starting your family a bit later. You're thinking about becoming mortgage-free. Maybe you're doing a career switch, right? And you're thinking about retirement at the same time. How do you help your clients put the right priorities around those goals for them? So we start our process uh, very much so uh, connected to the way our firm operates is we provide wealth management. So the scope of our planning efforts is, is quite comprehensive. The upfront planning effort is, uh, after you've identified the goal, then you go through this process of doing an integrated analysis. And in this regard, you're trying to uh, achieve all your various goals to a maximum. And once you go through that process and you establish strategies for each of the goals, then what ends up happening is you have to connect that to an investment strategy. So the upfront planning effort takes a very traditional approach to, I think, what a lot of advisory teams are doing in that you're, you're trying to weave together a plan that helps them achieve everything um, in light of their resources and their constraints. But where it differentiates, where you see it deviate is when you translate that plan into an actual investment strategy. That's when it starts to look and feel different. Okay, so we talked a little bit more about, uh, about the value uh, from the client perspective. Um, what is the value of goal-based planning for the advisor and the advisory team? Great question. So I would say the first immediate value is that for us, it was the system that we were able to best get to a certain outcome. And that outcome was increased confidence and clarity for our clients in what we were doing for them and why were we, we were doing it that way. And like all the other advisors out there, the challenge that we ended up facing with the proliferation of smartphones is that there's an incredible amount of noise out there. And what that noise did is it caused clients to more easily get distracted from the things that actually mattered the most. And so we needed a methodology to be able to keep our clients specifically focused. And so for the advisory team, this is valuable because the end outcome ended up being clients having more confidence and clarity. What we didn't really expect, but what happened as a result of it, was that it actually ended up increasing our, our enjoyment because our clients would come in, generally speaking, uh, a little bit happier, and a little bit more clear on what we were doing even before the meeting started. And then the other unintended outcome was that uh, it increased our, our referrals. So, you know, the, the degree to which we are getting referrals has picked up and we associate it with having achieved that. And, and so, it, you know, I would say for the advisory team is it really does make things overall easier for you. Excellent. So confidence and clarity and more focus for the clients. 
In terms of the implementation, of course, for a lot of people, for a lot of listeners, it might be a change in how they approach uh, what they're doing right now. So can you talk a little bit more about the transition, right? Because as you, uh, um, as you started back in 2014 with the new book of business, right, how did you transition from this more traditional approach to goal-based planning? What kind of, what kind of issues did you, did you encounter on the way at the same time? So, you know, the way we got started was, was really interesting. We were studying this for quite a while, and at the time when we introduced this, we were dealing with a lot of uncertainty in the markets. And what we wanted to do was, at, at one day, we just decided, okay, starting from today, we are going to, for every client that comes in over the next 12 months, instead of showing their portfolio as one number, we're going to show them their portfolio as a series of sub-portfolios so that we can explain why the money earmarked for retirement has a different strategy than the money that's earmarked for uncertain healthcare contingencies. And so the way we started was actually through a deliverable. And, you know, in hindsight, that was the right approach to take because it immediately focused us to a practical application of it. So we started with that, but the challenge you face when you introduce a new deliverable is that you want to systematize it. You don't want it to be a a burdensome process, a manual process of arriving at it. And we thought that our initial challenge was going to be pushback from the clients. But from day one, the response was positive. And I think it was because what we had done was intuitive for them. When they were opening up regulatory statements, they were getting a good update on the status of their portfolio, but they weren't really connected to why it was constructed the way it is. And what this started to do was explain the why. So the challenges we received were not from the client. It was on the operational side and actually being able to produce this report. And the design element, for example, of it was uh, the first challenge, getting it right. And so we went through a couple iterations of how it should look like, Uh, Does this component confuse clients? Does this component actually deliver meaningful clarity? And so a lot of it actually ended up being operational. And then what happened when our thesis was validated, meaning the feedback from the clients was positive, was we started to have to work it through our systems and processes because what we had started with was the deliverable. Well, now we had to bake it into every single process and, and, and part of our touch points for existing clients and then for prospective clients, so for the prospects. So the challenge was really adopting it system-wide, but getting started was very easy. It was, I wouldn't call it an impulsive decision because we were studying it for a while, but we just decided one day to start with a report and that's what tripped everything for us. Excellent. So did you start with one client or just maybe set of clients or you pretty much rolled out after the initial study uh, and uh, ending up on the, the deliverable that you wanted, and uh, they just basically roll it out to every single client uh, within, um, that you serve at this point, at this time. We started off with our higher net worth clients, and the reason is because we found that that was where most of the complexity was best cleared up. So situations where you have larger portfolios, more goals, um, more to achieve, and that. Uh, was really our our testing ground and getting the immediate positive feedback then validated our thinking enough to then be able to 
really push it down to any portfolio size. Excellent. So uh, if we were going to look at your implementation process, and uh, I, I think we are going to get to the tools because I'm really curious uh, to hear what kind of tools you use and how you actually implement it. Uh, but um, do you want to talk maybe a little bit more high level on the, on, is there like an implement, you know, implementation process of goal-based planning that you go through? Absolutely. So I mentioned that we ended up working it into our virtually every process. And, you know, Education by repetition is the theme here. And what we realized was that by making a deliverable that we gave to clients on a regular basis, communicate in a certain way, it actually ended up influencing the behavior of the clients. They came into the office now thinking that way. And so we thought, okay, if we've got them ensconced in this way of thinking, we can now bring it up and use this framing as we approach future problems. And so working it into the full-scale process, it, it now for us starts from the very first meeting. We introduce the concept. We don't give it a name. We just really draw a, buck, a couple buckets on a page and, and um, assign goals to those buckets. But from day one, when we encounter a prospect, we start to position it this way. And so as we navigate them through every system, we always go back to that dashboarded view of looking at the various goals and and then weaving them together into into one bigger entity. So, you know, it's important to make sure that if you want to train your clients into thinking and behaving a certain way, you need to give them that repetition. And in addition to doing it in so in our prospect meetings, you know, we we start with that concept and we carry it through as we deliver all of our plans and all of our reports. And then when we transition from planning to investment strategy, you see the same buckets, but now you're, you're filling them with different things. Whereas before you were filling them with words, now you're filling them with numbers, with account values, with asset allocation. And so it's, it's the thing that's consistent for them throughout the entire process. And I would say that, you know, at the implementation level, what we've learned is that if every single one of your deliverables can look and feel like that, then what happens is very quickly the clients start to think like that. Makes sense. So I'm really curious to actually see the, maybe the screenshot. Would you be able to share with the listeners the, the, some of the maybe design of the reports that you use for clients? Absolutely. I think, I think what you're doing here, Pavel, is absolutely great. Uh, you know, advisors, we all share the same common problems. And um, uh, in my career, I was able to lever off of other people's work. So I'm Happy to contribute. Wonderful. We will definitely link it in the show notes so we can uh, share this with our listeners. Thank you very much for that. Um, okay, so this is actually really, really nice because um, uh, it sounds like it's a very natural process for clients, right? So there isn't, there isn't really a, a, a training process uh, for clients. You don't have to really tr retrain them. It's, it's more of a natural process, right? But if you have maybe a, a, some, somebody who you've been working with earlier, right, is there maybe, a, let's say, a, a learning uh, curve for the client as well? Do you have to retrain some clients? You know, we originally thought this was going to be the case. We thought that we were going to have to get clients to understand this. And so we started to come up with ways to explain it. But quickly, we realized that the deliverable did all of the talking. So it, and it was relatively intuitive because of the way it was designed. I think that the design element on the deliverable was a large part of why we achieved success 
in terms of the reception from clients. And so um, I would say that the better you design your deliverables for the clients, the less coaching and nudging into that direction you have to do because it's a very visual-based practice. You are delivering concepts not in the traditional sense of you know account ledgers and transactions, but effectively, it's almost an infographic of their portfolio. And so it tells a story. A picture tells a story often better than words can when you're dealing with something complex. And so I think this is the part that when I explain it to anybody who asks, they're most surprised to hear that training the clients was the easy part. Perfect. So let's talk about tools right now, because I'm really curious to see how the goal-based approach fits into your workflow. So can you walk us maybe through some of the tools that you use in terms of implementing this approach in your practice? Sure. So, you know, you would think that being goals-based in our investment approach, we would then complement one of our our planning effort with with goals-based tools. But actually... I, I prefer the traditional cash flow-based softwares on the financial planning side. So, for example, if we're, if we're conducting an analysis for the client, we don't use goals-based software, and I can explain why. First of all, the reason is because your option set in Canada here is pretty limited. Um, but also, goals-based software as it was designed is, is overly simplistic. It, it doesn't accurately capture what is critical in this process, which is identifying that assets and cash flow are a scarce resource and and you have to put them to use uh, towards goals that compete for those same resources. And and the software that we've seen can accurately capture this, at least the goals-based planning software. Whereas the cash flow-based planning software that exists out there is much better at identifying that this dollar needs to be stretched in a number of ways and that you can run into failure scenarios. You can run into a scenario where you don't achieve a goal. So the, the first form of tool we use is, is financial planning software. And so until very recently, we were using uh, almost exclusively FP solutions. Uh, and, and the reason we were using that program is because it's, it's, it's a pretty robust engine. But you know, I have to admit, I think over time, Pavel, your, your marketing efforts slowly picked away at my stubbornness. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, in December, I started, uh, we started using snap projections uh, for the situations where it was suited for because we just find that it's incredibly user-friendly. Excellent. So, um, so how do you tie this back? So, yeah, so you have basically two software packages. You have, uh, uh, you have FP solutions uh, for complex plans and, and snap projections maybe for simpler plans. Um, um, and, but how do you tie this back to, the, to, the, to other um, components of the solution? What do you have? Uh, um, you, ha- you have your own reports. Uh, is this an Excel sort of based uh, model? Is this, did you develop any other software? Can you tell us, tell us a little bit more how you connect those different pieces? Yes, absolutely. So, so this is the technology and tool we use on the planning side. And what we then have to connect it to is the portfolio management side. So another tool that we use, and I'll get to your specific question in a second, but I think this explanation will will walk us through it. In terms of the portfolio management side, we actually had to build our own tool. And it's one that effectively helps us take raw data from various other sources to create this dashboard style report that we need to be able to produce quarterly across the entire client base 
with as few clicks and as little effort as possible. And, uh, you know, anyone who's gone down this path knows that you have to be really careful with technology projects. They're, it's a rabbit hole. You can get easily lost. You can get carried away. But fortunately, we managed to stay focused because what we had as our starting point was a deliverable. So we knew what our outcome had to be. We were always focused on being practical. So to answer your, your question, we use essentially um, practices and data management where we draw from various resources. Admittedly, like many other groups out there, our data comes from different places. And so we had to build our own system where we can weave it all together. And so we take data from the financial planning software and you know that lives in a database. And then we have to collate that with data from other sources, say, on the portfolio management side. Right. So uh, this, this sounds like there's a little bit of technology product, uh, uh, challenge, right? Because to integrate this yourself. And, and really, I think the problem, from the, at least from the uh, technology perspective on the market, I mean, just the, there's a lack, really, of, of a great uh, sort of uh, goal-based planning tool. But the problem also is that, um, as you said earlier, and I think it's worth uh, to highlight this, um, goal-based planning doesn't really sit completely on the planning side, right? And, and you can definitely comment on that. But it's, it's kind of intersection. There's planning side, there's investment side, right? That's why it's so difficult to actually create a product that sort of is self-contained and, and you can actually release it as a commercial product on the market. That, that's a great observation because uh, often the way software is designed is to solve a specific problem. And uh, on the financial planning side, it essentially can get you to the point where you know what resources um, to put it towards each goal. But then completely separate from that is, you know, um, asset allocation modeling and, you know, what specific securities do you hold? What is the risk classification of those securities? Are they stocks, bonds, preferred shares, you know? So you have to then be able to connect that financial planning data to the portfolio management data. And that's not an easy task. You're right. It's a, it's a challenge that I think the industry has always faced, and I don't really see that problem going away. Well, hopefully with more fintech uh, startups and technology startups, uh, some of this you know, connectivity data feeds and everything else that you need to actually put it together very quickly is going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, is going to be solved. But uh, it sounds like you've, you have a really good process, right? And you know, the outcome of that, the value to you and the clients is you have more confidence, the clients have more confidence, more clarity, they're more focused. And of course, uh, you've noticed that uh, referrals and client satisfaction picked up. Uh, and of course, there's a little bit of downside to uh, to to that. You have to you have to put some work in, right? You have to invest a little bit of effort. But um, if if there's maybe an advisor uh, that is thinking about, well, how do I start with goal based planning, uh, uh, goal based planning approach, right? What do I do first? Uh, what kind of advice would you have for those kind of things? Uh, for those kind of folks who are thinking about uh, starting uh, dabbling into goal based approach? I think I would start today. If someone was to ask me that question, I would say. The first thing you should do is, is start to understand it a little bit. Start to see the various iterations to which it's actually being used out there. Because the way I'm describing it is, is one methodology of it, but there are, there are different spins on it. And so understanding how it's being used by others, I think, is a, is a necessary first step. Because otherwise, it's hard to visualize how it might fit into your own practice. And then... Really what I would say is once you, once you get a sense of, of the way it's being used and, and in that regard, how you might use it, 
I would really suggest reaching out to other people who are doing it and picking their brain, understanding the trials and tribulations they went through so that you don't have to learn some of the things that they had to learn the hard way and really piggybacking off of the effort of others. Makes sense. Always <laughs> leverage the experience that's already out there. Uh, that's a great comment. And um, there's one other question I want to go back to is uh, because I'm thinking that, you know, there is uh, maybe version 1.0 of, of the approach of the solution, right? And then there is this ongoing tracking and maintenance. So, uh, but it's from what you're describing, it sounds like once you have this dashboard and the data is connected, uh, there isn't a lot of, uh, there isn't a lot of effort to, to track because the, the, the dashboard is sort of, sort of updates itself. But is there any, uh, is there any effort on sort of on tracking uh, and updating uh, the client on the progress of the goals? And if so, you know, how, how does this work? Like how often would you uh, update a client or track the, the progress towards goals with clients? So in terms of the actual dashboard tool itself, you know, um, you, what you have to be able to do is connect financial planning elements to those portfolio uh, management elements. So for example, um, you do have to be able to, on that report, communicate what the target asset allocation is for each strategy. So, for example, as, as you'll see when we share the resources, each pool, each bucket has a defined targeted asset allocation. But you have to be able to compare that to the current asset allocation. So now what you need to know is, well, what's in the portfolio and how does that relate to what we want to be in that sub-portfolio? And then so what is our variance? So in the, in, the, in the first regard, I would say that this dashboard, what it allows you to do is go down that portfolio management path. But on that same dashboard, you have to connect it to the financial planning principles that drive it. So for example, um, you know, the time horizon to retirement needs to be on there. The, the risk profile. So you know, I think in the goals-based world, what we ended up realizing is that you can define risk in many different ways, but from the planning perspective, we define risk as the probability of not achieving a goal. And I think that this is uh, powerful because what this is where you, you know the heart of risk aversion lives is how important is this goal to you, and what what margin of error are we dealing with here? Um, and so that dashboard. Um, it has to be able to collate the information from different sources. And yes, it, there's an intersection of planning concepts and portfolio management concepts um, in there. So, you know, I would say that uh, this dashboard becomes the culmination of the planning effort and the investment strategy. And I believe that's why it's effective is because it's all there on one page, really a summary of everything at a high level. And it connects very well for the client. Excellent. So uh, before we wrap up, let's, uh, let's go to the last question. So this podcast is all about growing your practice. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Uh, so I don't know if, if I have any wisdoms, but I would, uh, you know, what I would say is that whatever methodology you use, keeping your clients connected to the purpose of their money and the reason behind their investment strategy, the why is it the way it is, is ultimately going to give them the most confidence and clarity. And if you do this in repetitive fashion, in the way you send your deliverables, what's going to happen is that they're, they're going to stay more focused and they're going to get better at identifying what information they receive to ignore, you know, market volatility, the media, 
And instead, it, it, it shifts their focus to what actually matters, which is how their own behavior influences their outcomes. So my parting word of wisdom, I suppose, would be this is one methodology of achieving this, but ultimately, this is what we're trying to achieve is the best outcome for the client. And I think that if you stay focused on that, it becomes less about the methodology and more about what works for you. Wonderful. Stay clear on the purpose and why. So, Ethan, if anyone uh, wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you? So, generally speaking, we publish most of our content on our website and, um, um, you know, and, and also uh, by way of, of uh, recommendations from our consultants, we're starting to pick up our presence on, on social media. So, right now, we're starting to use um, LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, my, my email address and my phone number are also publicly available. So I welcome discussions and I love talking about this stuff. Um, uh, and so uh, I can be reached in, in many different forms on the internet. All right. So email on the website and we'll link, link your website in the show notes, of course, email, uh, website and LinkedIn. Uh, Ethan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, Pavel. And that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at podcast at snapprojections.com. And if you're enjoying the show and want more of the amazing guests sharing incredibly valuable knowledge, head over to iTunes and leave us a great review, which helps us get discovered. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.